You are someone who's highly respected in their field, one of the great experts in whatever field that you were involved in. And you end up retiring. You have a nice life, nice pension, whatever it is. And you're married, you know, you, uh, you're retired and all of that. And what ends up happening is essentially you start wanting to, you know, pass some time in your retirement and you start planting, uh, we could say you start uh, creating a garden for yourself in your backyard and things like this. But what ends up happening is you start to notice that the property in which you live on, in which someone else before you had lived on, seems to have vortex-like spirals in their backyard and their soil and all of that. And you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to try and follow the structure of these spirals and I'm going to place copper spirals around this certain parts of the soil and then I'm not going to around other parts. Now some of you maybe know, uh, may know where I'm going with this, but with that said, what you end up doing is you end up realizing that after X amount of days, X amount of weeks, there is significantly greater, stronger, and healthier propagation and growth for the plants in which have these copper vortexes uh, growing within them, so to speak, or around them than the ones that don't. But not only that, we'll take it one step further. Out of nowhere, your intuition says, just grab a, a voltage meter, if you will. You grab a voltage meter, and then you start to realize that the frequency emitted, particularly maybe not so much electric, but perhaps maybe a little more acoustically oriented, and obviously you need a different detector for that, but you realize that there's sudden immense fluctuation of spikes around the plants in which grew much more healthily with respects to the vicinity of the copper coils. And you say to yourself, Honey, come look at this. I have no idea what's going on. So with that said, folks, please keep that example in mind as we go throughout all of this presentation here. Welcome, folks, to another uh, episode of Dave's My Emergency Broadcast Series. And today's title is called Using Ether Noise to Induce Wave Genetic Formations. And then in brackets, Hermidian Allometry or allometry, excuse me, depending on how you pronounce it. Now, before we dive into that, for those that are have not checked any of it out, please head to patreon.com slash generation Z. That's patreon.com slash generation Z. No capitals, no spaces or anything. Because what you're about to see here, we dive into far, far more extensively on the Patreon and go far beyond that, whether it's propulsion, whether it's biophysics, whether it's consciousness, philosophy, you name it. We're trying to do our best to ensure that we have a nice myriad and plethora of all different categories categories covered because ultimately one can make a strong argument one is viewing in uh, interpreting and understanding the same underlying processes and energies that are applied to all of those so allow me for a moment folks to minimize my screen here for a minute and we're going to dive right into it very very simply so let's take a look here according to wikipedia Allometry is the study, and I quote, of the relationship of body size to shape anatomy physiology and of course finally behavior right? We see here it is a well-known study, particularly in statistical shape analysis for its theoretical developments, as well as in biology for practical applications for differential growth rates of the parts of a living organism's body, end quote. Now, immediately we start to go into something called asymmetry, right? Not symmetric, but asymmetric. And we're going to get into that very shortly. Now, let's take a look for a moment. Let's search up symmetry versus asymmetry here, right? Let's see, and let's take a look, for example, at a perfect example of symmetric versus asymmetric we see right over here. 
we can clearly see that in a situation of asymmetry, which is how arguably our bodies are uh, formed and grow and evolve and things like this, particularly if we look at the work of uh, Diana Dedoulis, if I'm saying it correctly, and Dr. James Giordano with respects to the paper called uh, A Problem with the Hard Problem, an oscillatory theory of consciousness, which speaks to this concept of resonant interconnection, whether we can experience or observe it or not, speaks to the idea that, for example, say where my mouse is on the right-hand side of this, uh, let's just say, tree for example, hypothetically, what ends up happening here is that when there's some lack of energy that is required for a particular task, the other side picks up the slack. And what if we were to apply our human body or the plants in the example that I just gave to that of any local environment we are in? For example, do you thrive more biologically and energetically when you're out in an open field, you have some water with you, you have the sun shining down, or do you thrive a lot better in, say, a 4 by 4 room which has no light, no anything, right? It's pretty simple in terms of interpreting that in that regard. Now, the title of this episode mentions ether noise. What do we mean by that? Well, let's take a look, for example, at something here called pink noise or fractal noise, according to Wikipedia, is a signal or process with a frequency spectrum such that the power spectral density is inversely proportional to the frequency of the signal. I would like to point out very clearly there may be a correlation, and I say that trying to leave some breadcrumbs with respects to Pythagoras's two to one ratio, in addition to those that if you look into the, uh, for those more scientifically oriented with respects to propulsion, if you look at the papers done by Hochberg and Visser, of course, as I've mentioned before, the tip of the throat of the wormhole is all that's needed to understand, because then from there one can scale and then begin to extrapolate and integrate with respects to, we could say, non-Abelian, non-linear mathematics, how that could then be, uh, we could say, retrieved in a finite-like manner with respects to creating boundary conditions and such. Now, sticking more to uh, the more simple aspects, we see inversely proportional to the frequency of the signal. What that implies ultimately, I, I may be oversimplifying, but the, the point here is to grasp the concepts, is that, say for example, I'm holding here my water bottle. There's an argument that right now, as I'm holding this bottle, there is also another water bottle that is non-material, but exists within the ether that is inversely proportional to where I'm holding this particular bottle at this moment. And you may be saying, Dave, well, how could you prove that? Well, we see, this is just one case, a Hermitian matrix seems to substantiate this. And how do we know this? Because in mathematics, a Hermitian matrix is a complex square matrix that is equal to its own conjugate transpose. Conjugate transpose basically meaning essentially uh, having to do with a complex conjugate or if you will, uh, what's in the ether. Just to essentially translate it that way. Now, let's bring things back to a little more simple of an understanding. What if in the example I gave at the beginning when you're measuring both the acoustic and electrical signals that come from the plants that grew more beautifully and more lively within the copper vortexes of your garden than the ones that didn't, have to do with some type of fractal allometric growing using pink noise, which then makes us think, is pink noise one of the core underlying substrates of this particular reality? And does it also have, just like I have presented in the past with respects to certain um, papers from, say, the late 1800s, early 1900s, I'll leave that there, is there some type of inversely, or dare I say very loosely, anti-version of, for example, if we stick with the water bottle example, that is inversely proportional to the ether or the vacuum as we speak. Just because we can't touch it or you know uh, sense it doesn't mean it's not there. We know this could be possible. Why and how? 
Let's take a look here. DNA is a fractal antenna in electromagnetic fields. I would like to thank very, very kindly our great friend of the show, uh, Damon. Brother, thank you very much for pointing this out, if I'm not mistaken. And if anyone else did, please forgive me. But uh, as I understand, it, uh, it was Damon at the time that pointed this out with respects to the overall concept of how, again, our bio, we could say we our aura, we could say our bio resonance in which we emit fractals and ripples which could give feasibility to the concept of manifestation in a positive regard negative too but if we stick with the positive it's this idea of oh i met this person they were filled with so much energy i could feel the energy coming off of them well if the energy was fractal and it was being emitted from the body in correspondence with a local environment that was helping to fuel that just like the plants in the beginning of this particular example of this episode there may be something there now, you may say, Dave, how can we know this or prove this or you name it? Well, what's interesting is that we have to look outside of North America to look for any discussion on such. But we see here wavegenetics.org, Institute of Linguistics, the Wave Genetics. Now, I'm going to simplify and basically saying this deals essentially with, yes, plasmas, you know, quantum information, quantum neurology, you name it. But ultimately, the concept that language and words have resonant frequencies and resonant energies behind them that induce certain stochastic processes, particularly uh, for those uh, more interested in the international literature, you'll find a lot having to do with um, acoustic noise and we could say <clears throat> certain stochastic processes in stochastic electrodynamics, we'll find that there may in fact be a feasibility connecting back to Maxwell's quaternions in quantum electrodynamics. The question is, is all of this just labeling for the same thing? We have to ask ourselves this. Now, I'm not saying that there's only one way to approach or get to this point or this underlying energy. I'm certain there are many, many ways. I'm not claiming to have found any of them whatsoever. But I do myself have a couple of uh, patents on this particular concept, if you will. And we can see, ultimately, that there is something there. And how do we know that? Well, let's take a look, for example, at this paper right over here. Practical Applications of Linguistic Wave Genetics principle in creating quantum information matrices used for programming plain liquids into medically active liquids called quimple or quantum information matrix program liquids we see here that there's clearly a significant uh, healing of certain ailments of the of the human body the question is does the healing stem from some type of allometric scaling that's fractal that uses both electricity and magnetism to then induce a pink noise effect very similar for those that are on the patreon how i discussed this proposal of how electromagnetism just like electric permittivity represents the divine masculine magnetic permeability represents the divine feminine those two come together to then give birth to, topologically to a new energy called, that we call gravity the question becomes is the finite fractal allometry of gravity have does it have anything to do with any with something uh pertaining to pink noise and light and as we've seen in many cases that many uh we could say not necessarily uap but paranormal and you know alleged et or crypto or intraterrestrial whatever you want to call it experiencers have claimed the more benevolent experiences and beings have told them light sound and frequencies we have to ask ourselves is this possible i mean again we have to ask ourselves if for example the scientific community 
is particularly in North America is creating a dogma or stigma like scenario in which uh, certain topics are not pursued, if you will. Now, what's interesting about all of this is if we look, for example, at one of the key individuals, Dr. Garyeyev, if I'm not, uh, if I did not butcher his name there, we see here, if uh, some of, one of the links clinked, clicked on from this website, that it is claimed by him and his team, genetics and its problem, the central dogma of, of genetics, I'd like to point out, is that all the functions of genetic control of an organism are localized in approximately 2% of DNA, and the so-called coding DNA of an organism, and the remaining 98% of the genetic apparatus code is nothing and are garbage or junk DNA which mainly represents a graveyard of virus DNA. The question is, if we open up this concept that junk DNA may not be junk, there may be a third strand in our DNA, if you will, at the quantum nanomolecular level that may in fact be electrically and magnetically conducive relative to that of some type of orientation of a particle accelerator or what we would call kundalini rising up to the crown chakra of the body. The question then becomes, does this potentially find a feasible avenue or route of merging physics with metaphysics, the world of the very large with the world of the very small? What's interesting about all of this as well is that we find a lot of people talk about, well, when you start dealing with quantum physics, regardless of what field you're in, medical, propulsion, you know, you name it, you start dealing with the concept or problem of uh, chaos and non-locality and you name it. And then the question is, can you control the chaos? Well, what if the chaos of that particular energy in, in an experiment you're doing is not chaotic? It is just appearing chaotic on the outset. But just like topology, there is a morphogenic infolding, if you will. And how can we show this? Well, we see, for example, that here's a particular slide, right, from a certain individual that was heavily involved with the Department of Defense a long time ago. Uh, we see here that there's a proposal to use an infolding function generator that mixes plasma and certain magnetic pulses with radio frequency antenna pads we see here to induce a healing type effect and the question then becomes are any of these frequency generators generating some type of frequency that resonates to what we interpret as words or healing words if you will which gives we could say potential feasibility to our ancestral healing methods that have long been ridiculed for a very extensive long time that, are, that in fact may be legitimate but have just been covered up for what reasons? We're not, that's not the point of this discussion in particular. Now, take a look at this right over here, folks. Self-targeting in inner electromagnetic channel can produce a quantum potential. We see on the bottom left of this slide, narrows of interacting potentials into laser-like beams between two pumped beams. Now, we see here in particular, if these are beams on the left-hand side, what would be normally used here is something called an unstable resonator which allows for the inverse proportionality of the light reflection to then leave the resonator instead of using a stable resonator, right? Now, if we look up, if anyone looks up unstable resonator, you'll find that X type symbol occurring as well, which is just equivalent to that of a conjugate transpose and a Hermitian matrix in quantum physics. Not only that, but let's go one step further. Take a look here. Take a look at this symbol. Does this not remind us of at least part of the Kabbalah? But let's, let's just leave it at, at the fact that it's interesting in the sense that take these four red points and let's ignore the top one for a moment. We've discussed in the past, particularly on patreon.com slash generations that on the member side, that we have four known forces in science publicly. Strong force, the strong nuclear force, the strong, uh, the weak nuclear force, excuse me, electromagnetism and gravity. The question is, can we unify the four? 
is it possible that there's a fifth force that unifies the other four? And I believe, in fact, that there very strongly is. Is it possible that what we're looking at here is, in fact, maybe an avenue, a method, a path, a road, whatever you want to call it, to unifying all of this? It's interesting because you see the same concepts with respects to geometries and different shapes and different numbers and different terminologies used over and over and over again. The question becomes, to what extent can we now take it to the next level and ask ourselves, okay, if this unifying force is indeed, if it has anything to do with light, sound, and frequencies, how could this be induced in a practical regard? Is a grand apparatus or a grand machine needed? I would not necessarily think so. For example, particularly on the Patreon, we have some individuals that have already induced certain effects with respects to um, experimenting with lasers in an acoustic-like uh, regard. Certain light waves interacting then suddenly create a, a certain photon that is much stronger than the original prior to, the prior two photons, so two came together to make a stronger one. Just like when people give birth to a child. You want your child to be better than you in many regards, or if, if, you know, from a parenting perspective. What if we apply that to science practically? And what if, again, we think of Pythagoras's ratio but inverted with respects to two to one? We see, for example, in this case, two individuals or two photons came together to make a stronger one. In other cases, just like in the symbol on the right-hand side here, one unifying force, arguably and allegedly, just to be careful with my words, um, then creates two from it. And from the two, there would then be four created. So regardless of which way you look at it, there's always an approach that could be taken with respect to some type of energetic insertion and interpretation, whether it's magnetism, electricity, or acoustic resonance. So with that said, folks, I did not intend for this particular recording or episode to be super long. The overall idea or concept in general is to basically give you folks an idea having to do with Essentially, what I've said in, in the Zoom calls as well, which is say, for example, I have this water bottle here and say I cover half the bottle and then I say, guys, take a look at this water bottle. Isn't it a great bottle? Let's explore and let's learn about it. But the second, the moment anyone says to me, hey, Dave, what about your, the bottom half of your hand covering the bottle? I go, no, there, there, there's no bottle there. Just because my hand is there doesn't mean the bottle's there. And then you start to ask, well, why don't you move your hand? And instead of explaining why I won't remove my hand from the, the bottom part of the bottle, I start attacking you and calling you names. You see, what I just described right there is what one could argue is happening in science, at least in public academia with respects to dogma. We're only looking at this part. We're not being, I'm not saying to believe in this part, but to be open to the fact that there may be another part there. So with that said, folks, thank you so very much, and we'll catch all of you very, very soon. Cheers.